Hello, and welcome to the Irish Memory Box. The Irish Memory Box is a new way for the Irish community to communicate and learn from each other. It fosters a more vibrant sense of community by connecting people from different generations. Today, I will be talking with Sean O'Dowd. Hi, Sean. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, and thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. So I guess for the people who don't know you who might be listening, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, like you said, Sean O'Dowd, uh, resident of Chicago, Illinois. I am a, by trade, by profession, a carpenter. Um, I'm a union carpenter here in Chicago, have been for over 40 years. Or as I say to like young kids starting out now, when they say, how long have I been doing this? I say, since Carter. And then they ask, who's Carter? So <laughs> that's how long I've been, been at this. Um, uh, I'm active here in the Irish community in Chicago. I am with the, the ancient Order of Hibernians, which is the oldest Irish Catholic fraternal organization in the United States. Can you tell us just a little bit about what the Hibernians do slash are? Um, like I said, we're the oldest Catholic Irish Catholic fraternal order in the United States. Um, we have a big umbrella. We cover a lot of things. Um, one of our mainstays is a um, peaceful and a united Ireland. That's in our preamble. Another one is a uh, immigration support system that we want an immigration, uh, a larger immigration going through from the United States to Ireland. We have an endowment at the University of Notre Dame. We do Irish uh, studies abroad for high school children. We do grants for college for a semester or two semesters in Ireland for Irish studies. Uh, these are all things that you can go online and apply for. We do charity programs, whether throughout the whole United States or in the particular areas we work for, Hibernian Hunger Projects, which again is feeding the homeless, feeding food pantries, which we take off a lot from what happened, you know, during the uh, 1847, 48, uh, 1848, 49, you know, the Great Hunger, where we try to incorporate that into the things that we do here, because that was a, such a big part of being of uh, the Irish nationalism and the Irish face of who we are and what brought so many people here to America. And for so many generations, the people here in America kept sending money home, kept sending things home, parcels back, packages back to help those that they had left behind. That is very cool. What a long list of amazing things that y'all do. Um, okay, so that, that, this is your now. Let's take it back and talk about growing up what was it like for you growing up well i guess actually i guess i should probably ask you uh what's your connection to ireland um that's the whole growing up part <laughs> uh my father is an immigrant so well when i say part of the aoh is immigration and uh, moving immigration forward i'm a huge um huge interest in that huge supporter of immigration uh, you know proper and legal immigration because my father was an immigrant uh, he came over in 1948 as you know in 1948, Irish Ireland was still a state of, um, forget mm -hmm. how they call it exactly at this point, but it wasn't until 1949 that it became a free state, that it became a republic. So when he left, he was actually technically a citizen of England, mm -hmm. you know. So uh, he left under those terms of economic migration. You know, there's no work. It's after World War II. There's not a lot of work for young men. And you had to go somewhere. You had to go to the continent. You had to go to England. You went to Australia. You went to Asia. You went somewhere. He had an uncle in the United States. So he came here. 
so that's my connection to Ireland. And from there on, um, it's just been instilled in me growing up, you know, just Irish and all Irish. And if you ever saw the movie, My Greek Wedding, all right, the woman in it talked about her father, who everything and anything had been invented by the Greeks. If you talk to my father, everything and anything had been invented by the Irish. You look to document things and a tremendous amount of things the Irish were responsible for, did have a hand in, did mm. play a part in inventing, whether it was signing the Declaration of Independence, whether there are more Medal, uh, Medal, of, uh, Valor, Medal of Honor winners in the United, St- in the United States um, Army and United States military forces are Irish than any other nationality. Irish born than any other nationality. So, um, you know, when he talked about that and there's a huge sense of pride, huge sense of, you know, honor and everything of being Irish, you know, mm-hmm. um, so that was just instilled in me in a very young age. Okay. And did you grow up in like an Irish neighborhood? Did you have a lot of Irish people? Cause you, I, I'm assuming your, your father moved to the States and you grew up in the States then. Yeah. 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 Um, to answer that, no, we did not grow up in an Irish neighborhood. My father, being uh, a farm boy, moved to the city, uh, the suburbs, or to Galesburg, Illinois, and then he moved to Chicago. Mm. When he was in Chicago, he wasn't a big fan of city life. He wasn't a big fan of the city. And at that time, and you've been out here a little bit in Chicago, uh, the suburbs started to boom just after the post-war area. And mm. he bought a house in this little community called Hoffman Estates which is no longer a little community, like so many suburbs out there in the Hoffman Schomburg area. And he bought a house out there in like 1955. And it was just a small rural community. That's mm-hmm. where I was raised. That's where I was born. But we still had a large Irish community here in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Still had all of his relatives. And at that point, he was the first of his first cousins to come over. Um, he was one of the oldest in the group. And so many of them followed him through the 50s, through the 60s. He had aunts and uncles that were here. So there was always the family events, the weddings, the first communion parties, the, just the parties in general. There, there seemed to always be parties and celebrations going on that either we went into the city for or people would come out to us in Hoffman. And at that time, I remember them coming out and just saying, oh, my God, we're in the middle of nowhere, you know, to come out there, um, especially early on when the expressways were just being built up. You know, the interstate system wasn't what it is now. And you took highways to get out there and stuff. But, um, Mm. you know, so I wasn't, we didn't grow up in an Irish community, but we were surrounded by Irish and by Irish friends and Irish people. And my dad had that whole network of people, uh, not just family, but of friends and associates. I can remember as a child being like in the yard or outside playing or something and my dad would come up and start talking to us and saying, asking questions and stuff. And the kid would just, my dad would walk away and the kid would just have kids, friends would nod their head and say something. And then look at me and said, what was your dad saying? You know, <laughs> he had that really thick, heavy cabin robe, which he never lost. Um, you know, he never lost that. And for me growing up and having all that around me and always hearing especially the cabin accent, the cabin bro, and then a lot of people from Dublin, you know, it was, it just sounded natural to me. If you hear it often enough, you understand it. So to me, it was Mm -hmm. absolutely nothing. Awesome. Okay. So let's talk about, uh, did you ever do any Irish 
instruments or Irish dancing or anything along those lines? <laughs> um, no, I never played. Uh, and, and I look back at that and almost wish I had at some point. And it was one of those things my mother, who was American born, kept asking us, you know, don't you want to, you know, play it, you know, guitar lessons, something. And at the time, I was always playing sports. I was very active in sports um, my whole childhood, whether it was out playing in the yards, pick up baseball games, best, depending on what the season was. It was baseball season, we played baseball. In the fall, we played, you know, football. The summer, we played football. Then you went into basketball because that was an indoor sport, you know, gymnasiums and stuff. And then you went back to the spring to baseball. So, you know, we're always just rotating around. It doesn't seem like there was time to pick up an instrument or learn to dance. I look back at that now and just wish I had done even learn how to sing. Because as they say, I couldn't carry a tune in a bucket, you know, and, and I like to sing, but nobody likes to listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good at a chorus if you put me way in the back. <laughs> oh, I'm sure you're great. Um, okay, cool. So let's talk about then your career. How did you get to to be a carpenter? When did you decide that? And, and what was that like for you? Um, again, uh, my father when he got here, he got in the trades. Um, and I'd often thought about doing other things, but again, you know, in the late seventies, early nine or late seventies, early eighties, uh, the United States was in a huge recession. Uh, most of the world was in a huge recession at that point. You had interest rates, which people can't even imagine, you know, at like 10% and higher and 15%. So people weren't buying homes, people weren't buying things, people weren't, you know, there wasn't a lot of just, free money out there, access to money, like, you know, as during a boom economy is. So um, I had tried a few other things. I had, you know, had my own plans and what I was going to do. And eventually none of those were really working well. And my dad said, you want a job? I can give you a job. And through that, I started working for him, got into the trades. At one point, you're always thinking I'm going to go back to something else and start chasing the, what I really want to do. But the fact of the matter is I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I don't regret any of it because we're in Chicago. I can just drive around. And as my daughter says, you know, yeah, we drive around the city. My dad just points at buildings and said, I did that. I did that. I did that. And pretty much any carpenter in Chicago or any tradesman in the city almost has their, their family will almost tell you the same story that their father mm -hmm. insists he built the whole city. So, or, <laughs> or mother, whoever it could be now, whatever gender it is, we all kind of have that, but um, it is true to some, of, uh, uh, to some extent, I can drive around uh, downtown and just point at all the buildings that I've been in and done something in or worked mm. on or the newer buildings and that. So um, that's pretty awesome. Uh, Any yeah. roundabout number? Of how many? Yeah. Oh, gosh, no, gosh, no. <laughs> Too many to yeah, count. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've been on projects where they started them, and they, I've worked on the same project for 18 months or two years. I've done 390,000 square foot built, you know, buildings, you know, 30-story high-rises. I've worked on just small little office remodels. And, you know, there's a huge spectrum there of everything we do. Uh, a lot of hospital work, so pretty much any new hospital that's been built in this area in the last 20 years, 25, 30 years. I've either been one point or another on it or near it or something to do with uh, mm. any of the hospitals. So that's so, cool. So, yeah. so um, another question for you is uh, Have you ever been to Ireland? Countless times. 
And that, if you ask me to count, is probably 16 is the number right now, 16 times. Oh. And, uh, and I think if you figure that out at my age, it's like every three years or something. Um, first time I was eight going on nine. And my father sent me and my, I have uh, three older brothers and two older sisters and sent us back for the summer to cabin to the farm in Valley James South. And my granddad and granny were still alive. My dad's brother pretty much was running the farm at that point. And he sent us back for three months. We left a few days after school ended and came back just enough time for my mom to register us back for school in the fall. All of my cousins, first cousins, which I have over 30, I think there's 34 first cousins in Ireland. I have first cousins my age. I have first cousins 10 years older, 15 years older. I have first cousins 20 years younger. So when you get a big family, as you well know how it is in Ireland, there's a big spectrum in ages between first cousins. And then from that point on, um, every two years, that was 70. Went back in 73. Same thing, went back in 76, same thing. And um, once I got older, by that time, I had developed a relationship with my own, with my first cousins who were my age. So as a young adult, as a young man, I would go back and visit them. And then we would just terrorize basically the West Coast of Ireland. <laughs> Not like they are now, there's no internet, no emails. And you would just travel all day, find a place like a bed and breakfast, check in and then find the nearest pump, you know? Uh, but that first, that 70, 73 and 76 are times that I will never forget. And that was really... I really want to know about that ex- whole experience. Like I wish we had like a six hour podcast. So you could just tell me about the whole time that you were there. Yeah. But I guess I do have um, one question about it. And uh-huh. that would be... Um, was it much, much different? Like, obviously, I know, you know, you were going from um, suburb Chicago to rural Ireland, but was it, was there anything that was like really different? Well, the fact that we were out on a farm, you know, and it's definitely a very rural area, you know, there was no phone in that house. Uh, even communications, you went down to the villas, the villas, the creamery, and people left their messages there and got them the next day type of thing. And that was all the farms in the area. Nobody had phones. Um, the fact that you still saw so many people uh, delivering their cream and delivering the milk to the creamery to the villages with the cart with the you know the, the, with the the old milk pails on it, either hauled by a horse or a donkey or a mule. Things we did uh, to go into the seaside, uh, the climb in the mountains, to just out having fun, you know. There was just a huge farm and with the animals on it and everything else. It was just an experience we had never had before. I had never experienced that. Amazing. Like, I'm jealous of the fact that you got to experience Ireland like that. Uh, I was only born in 87. So tell me about now, I guess. that what, what are things that you like to do to celebrate your Irish heritage? I think educate people on really what it is to be Irish and who the Irish are and what we've done. Um, not only here in the United States, but throughout the world. Um, that I think is huge, is how I try to celebrate my Irish. Now, granted, there's the St. Patrick's Day party, there's all the events, the dinners, the dances, you know, and I love going to that. I love going to network and talking to people. But at the same time, I really like delivering the message or talking about Ireland 
to people who don't know that much about it. Um, yeah, milk comes from a cow, but how do you get it from a cow? Maybe, you know, people, especially like some of your younger listeners and that may not understand exactly how milk comes from a cow or how butter is made, you know, it's churned. You know, my granny used to churn butter, you know, she used to have all the, the hens and the eggs and that. So, you know, my thing is, you know, my, how I try to enjoy that is spreading the word of Ireland, um, what we're all about, what we do and the history. I'm a huge fan of history, whether it's American, whether it's Irish. Um, and I try to look a little bit deeper than just what's put in books or just what's put out in the broad spectrum of what someone says or what's printed or, you know, the ear inside stories, like you said, you know, to be there or know somebody um, from all those years. I mean, my granddad had this cast of characters that worked for him. There was Matt Segarty, there was Billy Bell, you know, and all these guys. And I know them just by those names to this day. And I was just a child and they lived in the cottages up on top of the mountains or over the hills or down the lanes. And these were just the thatch cottages with the paraffin lamps, you know, uh, that it, you know, you, you know, with the, the open fireplace. And that's how they lived. And they were just bachelors that lived in these cottages. And when they were gone, unfortunately, um, there's two women, uh, Lizzie and Fanny Henry, that lived atop the mountain. And when they were gone, nobody moved into those houses. Nobody took over. And the roofs just came down on them. And they just, the land around them was sold and just kind of gobbled up by, big, put on the bigger parcels. But to have known that and be able to tell people about that and stories, you know, my dad was a great storyteller. I can't play a music. I can't play a guitar. I can't sing a song, but I can tell a story. So, Sean, I'm going to put you on the spot. Uh, do you have any stories that you could tell us? <laughs> I have numerous ones. My first night in Ireland, and this is, a, you know, of course it's true because why else would I say it? Um, you know, when you're here in the United States and we had pets growing up, and you let the dog in at the end of the day. You didn't go to bed and leave the dog outside. You let the dog out. So, you know, here it is. I think maybe my first, maybe second night in Ireland. Nine, eight years old. Eight years old. I turned nine that summer. And I can tell you how many birthdays I celebrated in Ireland because that's always there in the summer. But my, the cows have been milked. You know, there's summer, so they bring them in the morning. And then they bring them in in the evening. And they're milked twice a day. In the winter, they're milked once a day or maybe every other day because they're not eating as much good green grass. And these are all grass-fed cows, and you know, which is everybody's into now. And they were doing that way before. They were way ahead of the curve on that in Ireland. Um, but at the end of the night, it was late, and I went up the back path, up the up the trail, up the hill, up the mountain, and on my own because cows, once you get behind them, they all start moving. I brought them all down and put them in the pen and then I went in the house and went to bed well the next morning I guess the uproar because they had gotten into everything the cows because they didn't want to be locked up or anything and they had gotten over the fence and behind the buyer and behind the barn and over the hills and my granny had a big garden out the front of the house and they had trashed all that and gone through it <laughs> and here she thought and, and she didn't yell at me or anything because she thought as she would say the little gossip you know, the wee gossip, you know, thought he was putting the cows to bed, you know, that that's what I had done is I had gone up and, um, you know, and 
for any kids out there, cows don't have to come in at night. They stay out in the fields. And I did not know that. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great story. Oh my God, Sean. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Do you have any advice for Irish America? My hope is that they don't lose, lose touch with their Irish nationalism and with what it is to be Irish. And, you know, not just to say I'm Irish on St. Patrick's Day and not to get caught up in all of that, um, you know, negative spin on being Irish. You know, we are a lot of things, but, you know, we're bright, we're educated. You know, you look at what we what comes out of Ireland, we're the most educated um, uh, workforces, you know, college educated workforces that come out of Europe. I think people need to do that. There's a stereotype of the Irish that I think people really need to get away from, especially about certain things about our nature and who we are. Yeah, I think that's a really great point, especially with this whole stereotype thing, because like, Sean, I'm sure, as you can imagine, you're speaking to me now as a a black woman who's born and raised here. Um, You know, there is that stereotype of across the board of, you know, the Irish people, somebody said, oh, I couldn't be Irish. I don't drink beer. And we it was just like that's so that's such a, a bad stereotype that's just portrayed in the movies or like I said the fact that you know all all Irish people are white with curly red hair and freckles or whatever it may be um I think that's a great message to send out to the people who are listening to us um about changing the stereotype because you're right um Irish people are more I think it's just important uh for the people who are listening to know that we are here on the U.S. And the U.S. side are still working to get rid of stereotypes uh, in the Irish American community, which is awesome and so important for so many members uh, of the community and so many people who, uh, you know, uh, aren't yet members, but still would fall under our umbrella of, uh... well, Sean, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and getting to know you a bit more. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us. It's been wonderful. Well, thank you, Grace. Um, I do hope to be in Ireland. I will be there in January and February of 2022. Coming up. Yeah, I think that's how that's going to work. I'm all messed up. That one year threw me all off. That last, oh, that, that the last blank, 15 months. The blank year. The year <laughs> yeah. that we don't talk about. For all those who are listening, the year that we're talking about, in case you're listening in the future, uh, the year that we're talking about is 2020, the year of the pandemic and all the disaster that we're we're now cutting it out. It never happened, yeah. right, Sean? Yeah, the lost year. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, Sean. Goodbye, Grace. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. And that brings us to the end of this episode of the Irish Memory Box. Thank you so much for tuning in. This last year has been hard for everybody and we hope that these episodes and these snippets of intergenerational learning and communication have helped you through it. From all of us at Irish Community Services, thanks so much for tuning in. Mm -hmm.